Thank you so much to those of you who came this week and decorated our worship center. It's beautiful. Thank you very much for doing that. Gary preached part of my sermon this morning during his prayer. And then when Mike and Sherry got up, they preached the other half. But you don't get off that easy. Um, What that says to me is that the Spirit wants you to hear it twice. So um, we're going to talk about this morning Christ being our mediator and our intercessor. I've chosen uh, two verses that talk about that. Uh, first, uh, first Timothy 2.5, where Paul says, There is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. And then Romans 8.34, which says, Who is he will, who will condemn? Christ is the one who died more than that, who was raised again who is even at the right hand of the Father who is interceding for us. Would you join me as we pray? Our gracious Father, thank you so much for this season of the year when we celebrate the birth of our Savior. Thank you that we have a Savior. As we sang this morning, our desire this day is that we adore Him So would you give us this morning a clearer picture of our Lord, our mediator, and our intercessor. And we ask it in his name. Amen. Well, today's the first Sunday in Advent when uh, we look forward to celebrating the birth of our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. We're still Just amazed, are we not, that the great God of the universe, who cannot be contained at all, could plant the seed in a young virgin who had never known a man intimately and become a baby, a real human person. Kids, if you were listening You heard Gary use a big word that we use for that. It's called incarnation. That word means that God, who's a spirit and can't be seen and can't be touched, that God put on bone and muscle and skin and became a real baby who grew up to be a real man, Jesus our Lord. It seems impossible To us that that could happen. But we believe it to be true because God told us that's exactly the way it happened. The wonderful miracle of the incarnation is as marvelous to us as it was to those 2,000 years ago who saw it happen. The world around us has Christmas all mixed up. For many folks, it's just another holiday when we give and receive gifts and we enjoy family and parties and being together. But despite the world's attitude and what they think about Christmas, we know the real meaning. We know that this season is all about the coming of the Christ child. We sing songs about that. 
We enjoy the season. We enjoy the Christmas story. But that tiny baby didn't come just so we could send Christmas cards and sing songs and display our nativity scenes. That baby would grow into a man who would endure persecution and ridicule and criticism and ultimately torture and death. And that death was the supreme reason he came. He came for the express purpose of dying in our place to pay the penalty for our sin so that we might be saved. None of us had anything to do with our own conception and our own birth, but he had everything to do with his conception and his birth. He made the decision to come. He initiated his coming. I hope you can see that the God of the universe has been acting for us and intervening for us from the very beginning. God had a plan from the foundation of the world to rescue men and women from destruction and death from their sin. And that plan was to humble himself and become one of us so that he could die for us. And he came as a newborn baby. And we celebrate the birth of that precious baby during this season. But it's really not about the baby. It's about the man that he grew to be. The one that they called Jesus of Nazareth was and is really the Christ, the anointed one of God. And he was not just an ordinary man. Truly, he was a mighty man in many ways. He wasn't just a tough, bold man when he had to be. But he was also a very gentle, meek, and lowly man when that was required. In fact, he, he said that of himself in Matthew 11. He said, I am gentle and lowly in heart. He is the perfect man in every aspect of his being, doing always the will of his Father. But that gentle, lowly man was also the mighty God, a member of the Godhead. Kids, if you're still listening, Godhead means Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinity. Jesus was a member of the Godhead. In him dwelt all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He was totally man, and he was totally God, and he was mighty in both. As both God and man, he functioned in different ways, different roles, carrying out his purpose. And for the next few minutes, I'd like to consider uh, just a couple of those ways. The Bible talks about the roles, or sometimes they're called the offices of Jesus Christ, as being prophet, priest, and king. He ful fulfilled all of those completely and perfectly. The difference between a prophet and a priest, we might think of as a difference of direction and representation. A prophet is one who is sent by God 
to speak for God to man. He's a mouthpiece for God, speaking God's words to us. We might think of the direction of that as being downward from heaven to earth. God speaking through a man. And he spoke to us through a number of prophets, but ultimately through Jesus, the great prophet. And we have his words today in our Bible. A priest, on the other hand, is one who represents man to God. And the direction is in the opposite direction. It's from earth to heaven. The Old Testament priests that we read about were spokesmen for men to God. And they offered sacrifices over and over to atone for the sins of men. They were arbiters. We used that word earlier. Uh, Mike quoted from Job, and we're going to do that here again in a minute. They offered uh, prayers and sacrifices to God for men. Jesus is both a prophet and a priest. And the greatest prophet and the greatest priest who ever lived. As our high priest, he is our mediator. It's in Jesus' role as a priest that he functions as a mediator between God and men. So first we want to consider Christ our mediator. What's a mediator? Another big word, kids. A mediator is one who stands between two parties who are estranged or they're at odds with each other. And the mediator seeks to bring some sort of solution, some sort of resolution for their differences to reconcile them to each other. The two sides, uh, two sides are at odds with each other over some disagreement. And the mediator is one who stands in the middle. He's a, a go-between that both sides trust to resolve their differences. Those of you who are parents understand that or maybe... Uh, you're not a parent, you grew up with some siblings, you've had experience with a mediator, maybe as a mediator, your kids get into arguments with each other. And uh, so you have to step in and try to bring some sort of resolution there. I remember when my boys were young and they wanted to divide a candy bar, for example, uh, I would have one boy cut the candy bar and the other boy choose which piece he got. Talk about being careful to cut. Uh, one of my sons wanted to get out a ruler so he could measure and cut it right in the middle. That gave us an opportunity to talk about sharing and giving even if you got the shorter piece. So it was another learning experience. I was acting as a mediator between my boys. One who intervenes between two parties in order to restore peace and friendship, maybe even for ratifying some type of agreement or a covenant between them. And sometimes a mediator even puts up bail for one side, uh, sort of standing in as a, a surety or a guarantee, kind of like a, a co-signer on a note. He stands liable for somebody else's debt in case that person can't pay. Think about that. Paying someone else's debt who cannot pay. Does that bring a biblical picture to your mind? 
I expect you're already thinking about someone who paid an insurmountable debt that you couldn't pay. Mediators go way, way back in history, long before the baby Jesus came. In fact, all the way back to the beginning. In the Garden of Eden, Adam sinned and he fell from his communion with God. Very familiar story to you. And a huge gulf, a huge separation began. The relationship between God and Adam was broken. And now there was an estrangement. And Adam was a sinner. God's a holy God. He cannot tolerate sin. And Adam has to be punished. Adam recognized that the relationship had been broken. Adam and Eve realized that they were naked and they tried to provide some sort of covering for themselves to hide themselves from God, but they couldn't do it. They couldn't provide the proper covering. Covering their nakedness required somebody else to step in for them. God did step in. He mercifully provided a covering for them in the very first example of God stepping in to resolve the differences between himself and fallen man. But that covering that God provided for Adam and Eve didn't solve the sin problem. It didn't resolve the issue. So God told Adam and Eve that he would pronounce a curse on mankind. And that would have been a completely hopeless situation if there hadn't been some mediator to reconcile those differences. Adam needed someone to mediate between God and himself. But God intervened again to provide a mediator, a deliverer who would free them from that curse. Some means had to be made to settle that dispute between man and God. Somebody had to remove the curse. Man's a sinner who can't approach God. God's a holy God who must purchase, uh, must punish sin. Someone has to stand in the middle to provide the solution. Someone will need to mediate for them. The curse exists and God's going to punish sin. A judgment day is coming. Job had the same problem. You remember Mike reading that passage. Job knew a day of judgment was coming and he was in anguish wondering who would mediate for him against the holy God. So in Job 9, he says, if I wash myself with snow and cleanse my hands with lye, yet you will plunge me into a pit and my own clothes will abhor me for he's not a man as I am that I might answer him that we should come to trial together. There's no arbiter between us. Who might lay his hand on us both? You hear what Job is saying? Job is saying, if I wash myself with snow and I cleanse my hands with lye, that is, God, if I do the very best I can in cleaning myself up, reforming myself, if I get the whitest snow and I and I scrub myself with the best soap I can find from head to toe, it's still not good enough. 
you still see me wallowing in the gutter of my sin. You see me as I really am on the inside and I'm still dirty. I'm still a sinner before you. It's true, isn't it, folks? All of our self-improvement efforts, all of our good works, all of our sacrificing, all of our trying harder, none of that resolves the sin problem. God sees the real us, the dirty us, the ugly us, the corrupt us, the ones who are in need of a complete reform, in need of a real change, actually in need of being made new, brand new, really needing life. We need somebody who can step in between us and God and settle the dispute. And the dispute is very serious. It requires a death to pay the penalty for our sin. In the case of one of us against someone else, man against man, there might not be an obligation to go to mediation. Sometimes we can settle disputes ourselves. But in the case of God against man, there's a demand on God's part for justice. God's justice has to be satisfied. Sin has to be punished. And it has to be punished by a death. If we're to get mercy rather than justice, the right mediator has to come. There has to be a mediator and it has to be somebody that both sides are satisfied with. Somebody that both sides accept. God pictured this for us over and over and over in the Old Testament in a whole system of sacrifice with the Old Testament priests. It was their duty to stand as mediators between God and the people so there'd be a way for sinful man to approach God. Because our holy God hates sin with a holy hatred, he has to send a mediator. There is no way that a corrupt, sinful man can enter into God's presence and have fellowship with him. So those Old Testament priests offered sacrifices over and over repeatedly to atone for the people's sins. And that continued for many, many years, but it could never fully mediate. The priests weren't the right mediators because the priests were sinners themselves. They needed mediation. And the sacrifices, although they, they tried to find the best animals they could possibly find, they weren't good enough either. There were many priests that offered sacrifices repeatedly, and those could never take away sin. And the sacrifices weren't perfect sacrifices. They tried to get a lamb without a blemish, the best one they could find, but none was perfect. And none could atone for their sin. They only pictured to the people the perfect sacrifice that would come to truly take away sin. The prophets told them that one would come. They looked forward to that perfect one coming. And he would offer the perfect sacrifice. 
but they weren't expecting a baby in a lowly manger. Only a few at that time really understood what that birth was about. Most didn't know that that tiny baby was the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. Surely not a baby born in a stable or a cave. If they were looking at all, they were looking for a great warrior, a king, a mighty man. But as the song says, where else would a lamb be born? It wasn't a king being born at that time. It was a lamb. So the priest continued those sacrifices year after year, but never with the perfect sacrifice. Hebrews 10 tells us it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. The priest couldn't offer the perfect sacrifice and the priest wasn't perfect either. They were sinners like the ones for whom they were offering sacrifices. They had to offer sacrifices for themselves before they offered sacrifices for the people. Who could it possibly be that would be perfect, that wouldn't need reforming himself or cleaning himself up? As Job asked in that passage, we need one who's already clean, who's already perfect, who can represent us to God, and none of those priests could do it. And by the way, all of those priests eventually died. Their priesthood didn't last forever. A new priest had to take their place. And at the end of his service, another priest took care of that because they would die. And then a new priest and on and on and on it went. The Old Testament priesthood was faulty, both in the priesthood and in the sacrifice. What we need is a perfect priest and a perfect sacrifice. Jesus, as our high priest, was the sacrifice and he was the priest. He carried his own blood into the presence of God. Jesus is the perfect mediator. And, God, and Paul told us that in the verse I quoted a minute earlier, 1 Timothy 2.5, there's one mediator between God and men. The man, Christ Jesus. Christ became our mediator, our great high priest, to bring us to God and reconcile us to himself, really. He is God. Reconcile us to him. It's man that has to be reconciled to God and not God to man. There isn't anything wrong with God. It's man that falls short. It's man that doesn't measure up. It's man that created the dispute in the first place by his sin. And Jesus Christ is the only one, the only mediator that God will accept. And the Father appointed him to that role, appointed him as our mediator. Hebrews 3 says, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession who was faithful to him who appointed him. Appointed 
by the Father to mediate by his own death. The Godhead made a covenant from all eternity that Christ would step in to mediate for us. Christ was slain before the foundation of the world. And he mediated for us by dying in our place and by going into the presence of the Father with his own blood to satisfy the Father, the perfect sacrifice. Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. He was the only one that could be appointed as our mediator because he was the only one who was the perfect sacrifice and the perfect priest all in one. Hebrews 9 says, as it is, he appeared once for all in the end of the ages to put away the sin by the sacrifice of himself. One time forever. He's the sacrifice and he's the priest at the same time. God had to put his own son to death to mediate on our behalf There are no others, folks. There are no co-mediators. Not the Virgin Mary, not Joseph Smith, not Muhammad, not any other so-called prophet or priest. Only Jesus is perfect for that role. He is fully God and fully man. Perfect God and perfect man. He could please both sides. Hebrews 8 tells us, now the point we're saying is this, we have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven. He is the perfect high priest because he's perfect himself. We don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but in every respect he was tempted as we are yet without sin. Jesus had no reason to offer any sacrifice for himself like all those other priests did because he didn't have any sin. He's able to come alongside us and completely understand our temptations because he was tempted in the same way just like we are. It's all part of the plan of God. Hebrews 2 says he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. He's able to help us because he was tempted exactly like we are. He had to become that baby in that manger. He had to be made just like us, fully human, tempted like we are, so that he could fully identify with us even with our temptation. And he was tempted in every way, the Bible tells us. He knows what your temptation is like, beloved. He was tempted in the same way and he resisted every temptation and conquered sin. Your sin. He is your perfect priest. And unlike the other priests, he does live forever. They all died, but Christ lives forever. Hebrews 7 tells us he always lives to make intercession for us. 
Martin Luther said, Christ's blood has obtained for us pardon forever acceptable with God. God will forgive our sin for the sake of that blood as long as its power shall last and its intercession for grace in our behalf, which is forever. Jesus is the perfect priest who never dies. Hebrews 9, and for this reason, he's the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Believer in Christ, you have a mediator who has gone before God as your perfect sacrifice and as the perfect priest to make atonement for your sin. You can rest in this Christmas season and every day in the perfect mediation that he performed on your behalf. That's all wonderful, but his work hasn't stopped. He mediated for us, but as the perfect mediator, he continues. He intercedes for us. He is still today our intercessor. An intercessor is one who petitions for someone else. And intercession goes way back in history as well. You remember Abraham acting in the role of an intercessor for Sodom, for Lot at Sodom. Remember God intended to destroy Sodom because of her sin. And Adam interceded for Lot. Um, He said, God, don't destroy the city if, if I can find 50 righteous men. And then 45, and then 40, and then 30, and then 20, and then 10. Adam was interceding for Lot, calling upon God. Pretty bold bargaining, don't you think? He's trying to get God to hold off his wrath and not destroy the city, spare Lot. He's pleading with God for Lot. He was interceding. That's exactly what Jesus does. Jesus is our intercessor. Again, Romans 8, 34, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is is interceding on our behalf. Paul reminds us that Christ is not only the mediator, he carries his own blood into the presence of God, but that he still lives, lives forever to continue to make intercession for us. As our mediator, he fully accomplished all that was needed to pay the penalty for our sins. He did say it is finished. But as fully sufficient as that was to assure our salvation, his care for his beloved doesn't stop He's not only our mediator, he is now our intercessor as well. He petitions the Father on our behalf. He loved us with a perfect love that sent him to the cross. And that love hasn't stopped. Remember the sermon from just last Sunday, Psalm 136? His steadfast love endures forever. It does. It continues with us. Even today, beloved.
He loves us today with that same love and continues to intercede for us. His care for his own never ends. And one of the things that intercession does for us is preserve our salvation for us so that it cannot be lost. One of the points we talk about when we talk about the doctrines of grace is the perseverance of the saints. We fully believe that, that the saints persevere. But we also fully understand that it's a work of grace from outside ourselves that creates perseverance within the saints. A work of grace. That's why they're called the doctrines of grace in the first place. It's all of grace. It's not about our working hard. It's not about our being obedient. It's not about our avoiding sin or tithing our time and money or anything else that keeps us saved. It's Jesus, mediation and intercession that preserves our salvation for us and causes us to persevere in the faith. When we fail in our persevering and we choose to sin and we do that, don't we? Christ is still there for us. John tells us in his letter, little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you don't sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Christ Jesus, the righteous. He's our intercessor, our advocate, our attorney, if you will, our paraclete, one who stands alongside us, a defense attorney who pleads our case for us with the Father. Christ is there to assure the Father that he died for every sin you commit and that that debt is paid. Remember the debt that you couldn't pay? We have an intercessor who paid that debt on our behalf. And he's our attorney who stands in the courtroom of heaven and he pleads our case before the judge. He presents the facts of the case that we as sinners have been fully justified by his blood and declared righteous. Not based on our righteousness, but based on his righteousness. If Satan, the accuser of the brethren, brings up our sin, as he sometimes does, Christ Jesus is able to defend us on the ground of his perfect righteousness, which has been imputed to us, given to us. If Satan accuses, Jesus is able to say, my blood covered that sin too. It removed every sin. All our sin, beloved, has been laid on him. He bore our sin and we cannot be charged with it anymore. Christ continually defends us as our mediator and our intercessor. We do sin, we fail and we fall short repeatedly, but the blood of Christ does not fail. Christ is able to come alongside us as our intercessor and he is perfect in that role to stand alongside because he was made like us. He can be trusted. He was able to resist the pressure of the world and the flesh and the devil and not sin. The father can place absolute trust 
in Jesus, because of who he is and what he did, we can place absolute trust in Jesus because of who he is and what he did. Knowing that you have such an advocate, we're commanded to make use of him. How? There are a lot of ways, but I'm just going to give you six because we're going to run out of time. How do we make use of our mediator, our intercessor? First, by trusting fully in him alone and his perfect mediation. Believer, you have been made brand new by his work on your behalf. You have been reconciled completely to God. He will not abandon you. He will not refuse to listen to you. He understands you better than you understand yourself. He has made peace with you. And you've been adopted into his family. And you've become an heir with Jesus Christ himself. Trust, trust every day in what he has done for you. And in the position he has placed you. It's likely that not everybody here has been adopted into God's family and is an heir with Jesus Christ. I would like to think that is true, but it's likely that's not the case. And if you're here this morning and you're hearing my voice and you've never really known this mediator, if you really don't know Jesus Christ, the one who opened the way to God, we appeal to you, we plead with you to call on him today. Ask for the mercy of God available only in Jesus Christ. It's offered to you. It's offered freely to you. The debt has been paid. You may have attempted to conceal from other folks, from us, maybe even conceal from yourself that you really don't know Jesus, that you are just not right with God. We call on you to repent. Jesus commands you to repent. Confess and agree with God that you need a Savior and that Jesus is the only Savior and that you want Him. He's the only mediator. Come to Him today. He is your only hope. You will find that day by day the blood of Jesus Christ will cleanse you from every sin. And you can enjoy peace with God, the complete forgiveness of your sin. If you don't know any more about that, please give us a chance to talk with you. We'll be down here after the service. Give us a chance to talk with you about that. Believer in Christ, for you, trust him every day. Number two, go to him daily for help. Hebrews 4 tells us, that we can come before his throne to find mercy and grace to help in time of need. Beloved, we can come to that throne any time. He opened the way to God for us. The veil is torn in two. We have access 
to God because of what Jesus did. He doesn't turn us away. He promised that he would never leave us or forsake us. And he's listening. He's eager for us to come to him every day. The way to his presence is wide open. There's no need of another priest or a temple or a sacrifice or anything else you have to do. Jesus Christ, your mediator, is in the presence of God in heaven at God's right hand in a position of power. And there's no curtain or veil that blocks your way. You have direct access to Jesus himself, your personal mediator. There's no need for any other priest. There's no need of praying to any other saint, as some folks do. Jesus is the perfect priest. He is the unique one. Always able to take your requests and your intercessions to the Father. And he's available all the time. Come every day to him for grace, for your help. Third, recognize that he is your strength. He is constantly there to strengthen us. Jesus, remember, had an angel in the garden that came to strengthen him. We go one better than that. We have Jesus himself to strengthen us. Paul said in Philippians, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Because he lives, because he's now exalted to the Father and he sits on the throne of grace, he is able to give you all the strength that you need. We pray and our great high priest who is there, who's opened the way to God for us, strengthens us for life's battles. Whatever you're facing this week, whatever you're facing this season, you can be strengthened by your intercessor. He desires to do that for you. Ask him for strength every day to face whatever you are facing. Number four, listen to him, not your enemy. Unfortunately, Adam listened to the enemy rather than listening to God. We do that too, don't we? Listen to your great intercessor, not your enemy. We all have struggles. We all have doubts. We all have questions. We all have difficult things in our lives. And Satan continues to accuse us. He may try to get you to believe that you're not truly saved. That you really don't know Jesus yourself. That you've never fully placed your trust in Jesus Christ. Our Lord is there to rebuke him. Those of you from Redeemer, think back a few weeks ago in uh, Brett's going through Zechariah. And in the third chapter of Zechariah, we went through that. Remember Joshua, the high priest, he was standing before God and Satan was standing there accusing him. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Remember that passage? The Lord rebuked Satan when he was accusing Joshua. He does the same for you. He preserves your salvation and protects you from those attacks from your enemy. The Lord intercedes for us when Satan accuses us. 
The Lord can rebuff the acts and accusations and assaults of the evil one. And we can be very much comforted with the words that Jesus addressed to Peter. Remember when he was discipled, Jesus said, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to have you so that he can sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you that your faith not fail. Beloved, do you, mean, do you believe your Savior prays for you? That your faith not fail? That he holds you close? That he strengthens you? He prayed for you in the Garden of Gethsemane, remember? When he was about to endure torture and death, he prayed for you. And he's still praying for you. He knows how you're tempted. He knows your weaknesses. He knows what you're facing. He knows your struggles. He knows your doubts. And he intercedes for you every day. Number five, rest in his continual intercession for you. He is there even now, today, interceding for us. We struggle, beloved, with all kinds of different situations and we need the intercession of the Lord Jesus. He is our advocate. He is there right now with the Father. He understands what we go through and He can intercede for us. He prays for us. Even when we don't pray ourselves, Christ is there to pray for us. Louis Burkhoff theologian, some of you might know, said, it's a consoling thought that Christ is praying for us even when we're negligent in our prayer life. He's represent, he is presenting to the Father those spiritual needs which were not present to our minds and which we often neglect to include in our prayers. And he prays for our protection against the dangers of which we're not even conscious and against the enemies who threaten us, though we don't even notice it. He's praying that our faith not cease and that we may come out victoriously in the end. Yes, he is. He absolutely is. Francis Turretin, great Puritan, lived 500 years ago. He alludes to the, to the mode of Jesus praying um, He says, don't think that it's in the sense of bowing before the father and and pleading and crying with the wringing of hands to get the father to concede. It's not a some sort of servile plea for mercy. It's more like a defense attorney who just stands before the judge and declares the facts of the case. Here's the way it is. I paid the debt. Their sin is gone. It's been removed. I took care of that. And the father hears the prayers of the son. The son does all things in perfect agreement and perfect obedience to the father. They are both for us. We can battle our sin in our lives knowing that the son is interceding for us and the father is for us. There's no battle between the two. Remember that when Christ intercedes for us, it's on his own merit and his own righteousness. And we dare not approach 
the Father any other way except through him, through our, mate, our mediator. So we pray. When we pray, we pray in Jesus' name for his sake, by his authority, because of who he is, because he's our mediator and our intercessor. We bring nothing. It is all of him. He cares for us infinitely more than just another defense attorney who's doing it for pay. He loves us with that everlasting love, that steadfast love that endures forever. So he can pray with us and for us. Are his prayers vocal to the Father? I don't know. They were on earth. But he's there with the Father now, and his mind is one with the Father. He's always in accord with the Father. He may not need to use words. Their minds are are entwined together. He always prays perfectly in accordance with the Father's will. And it's not prostrate with tears as he was in the garden. Our priest is exalted to the right hand of majesty. He sits on the throne in heaven. And he is there intimately with the Father. And he's not asking the Father just not to be mad at us and give us peace. That's been done. We have peace with God through the blood of Christ. Everything that has to be done has been done. It is finished. We have peace with God and access by faith into the grace wherein we stand. We've been completely reconciled with God, beloved. So when you're discouraged over some situation in your family, when you're discouraged with some situation on the job or at church, wherever it is, and your, your faith is small, know your mediator, your intercessor is interceding for you. He's praying for you. Remember, he prayed that Peter's faith not fail. And although Peter failed miserably over the short term at that critical time in his life, his faith didn't ultimately fail. Jesus restored Peter and he used it in a mighty way. Jesus prays for you the same way. When you're sorely tempted by the world or your own flesh or the devil and you're on the brink of falling into sin again, remember that your intercessor is praying for you and know that there is no temptation that has taken you but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will, with the temptation, provide a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Battle your temptations knowing that He is your strength and is interceding for you. And when your prayer life is weak and you don't know how to pray and it seems as if the answer is not coming, God is silent, He's not. Your Savior, your Mediator, your intercessor is pleading for you. And the Holy Spirit joins in that too. We don't want to leave the Spirit out. The Spirit intercedes for us. Romans 8 says, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. 
We don't know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Jesus Christ, your mediator, is interceding for you. The Holy Spirit, the third member of the Godhead, is interceding for you. And all those prayers are in perfect accordance with the will of God because the Godhead is together completely. They are in perfect agreement about you. That tiny baby whose birth we are going to celebrate at this season of the year fulfilled every role for which he came. And he fulfilled them perfectly. He is for you, beloved. He is praying for you. He cares for you. He strengthens you. He encourages you. He sustains you. He provides for you. He's guiding you. He cares for you. He is your perfect mediator and intercessor. Because of that, number six, imitate him. Imitate him. Be mediators and intercessors. We have the opportunity to do the same thing. When there's a conflict in your family or on your job or in your church, wherever it might be, we have the chance to step in and try to bring reconciliation for people. Imitating our great mediator who did the same thing for us. We can assist each other in that way. We can mediate for each other. And we can intercede for, for each other. Sometimes it might be time and money. But we have the opportunity to imitate our great intercessor and be like him. So this season, as you celebrate the birth of our Lord Jesus... God himself. Rejoice, beloved, in your heart that he is your great mediator and your intercessor. Brother West, would you come pray for us?